Welcome to episode 5 of Yubcast, a Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Jamie, and I am clumsy as I am stupid. And I am more machine than man, twisted and evil, also known as Matt. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Thanks. I should have taken it. We're going right. to have a duplicate eventually. <laughs> I, I was worried about that tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking of like, are, are we just going to do one, like, some horrible Jar Jar one? Oh, moi, moi, I love you! I have a couple Jar Jar ones loaded up, oh. in case you ever take one from me. <laughs> yes, I'd be taking it from you. It makes me think, in uh, Aftermath, uh, you had told me that there was a Jar Jar uh, chapter, and I was just thinking about it, that it's pretty... It's kind of an almost an awful send off to Jar Jar. I mean, it's nice, but at the same time, it's kind of I feel sort of bad about it. That so, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read Aftermath. There's a chapter where they talk about Jar Jar, and he comes and he just hangs out with orphans at, on Naboo, and turns out that people pretty much shun him as a collaborator. Is that yeah. is that accurate? Yeah, he's shunned because they see him as an ally of Palpatine, which is an interesting fate for him. He becomes a social pariah. Right, and he's he's a bit of a clown, and he befriends an orphan who's been badly injured. And so he's kind of an outcast, and this orphan's kind of an outcast, and they form a, a friendship, which is sweet. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, Jar Jar was not a great character, but he didn't deserve to be, you know. I guess he didn't he didn't deserve that. Or did he? I don't know. This is Jar Jar we're talking about. So there's been two... Well, so there was a, a gun gun in a Star Wars comic, and he was all messed up. He had, like, missing an eye, and his ear was, like, cut in half or something. And everyone asked um, the Marvel editors if that was Jar Jar. And the Marvel editor said, no, we can't introduce Jar Jar without actually using his name, because that's too... He's too big of a character just to leave out, like to imply that he's somebody, but not. This was just some war-torn gun gun. But actually, Chuck Wendig, the author of Aftermath, recently gave an interview, and he said that he wanted Jar Jar to have like a happy ending. And when he imagined how Jar Jar ended up, he made him the social outcast because that made sense to him in in universe but he wanted him to have the happy ending anyway and so that's why he gave him that chapter and so at least from the author's point of view that is a happy ending for jar jar and i can see it yeah me, me too people would want to just forget anything about uh, palpatine or anybody who does anything bad anybody who's associated with them is just labeled either collaborator or just a general piece of crap or whatever, even if they just, they didn't know anything about them or their, the horrible things that they've done. Yeah. So it's denazification, right? Mm -hmm. After world war two, they went through the German society went through and destroyed all of the Nazi artifacts and made it illegal to hile Hitler in public and all that shit. He's from Naboo, Jar Jar and Palpatine. They knew each other. Jar Jar voted for the creation of the army he started the Clone War. Whoopsie. Yeah, and if you believe some fan theories, he's the Dark Lord of the Sith, right? <laughs> Which is a bullshit theory, but... <laughs> Maxi Big the to, Force. Yeah, he's like a drunken master, right? The Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. Falling down all the time, killing everybody. Yeah, more like Forrest Gump. He just kind of stumbles through history. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your Black Panther party. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. He's the feather, he's the feather in Forrest Gump. Right. I mean, Forrest Gump is the feather in Forrest Gump. But did you get to do any Star Wars this week? Well, uh, 
been watching uh, Rebels with the family, and I uh, started a new book. Uh, on your suggestion, I started A Certain Point of View, and uh, I have to say I'm really enjoying it. How far are you into it? I'm at the second sand person chapter. Okay. Is that the one where she's breaking into the sand crawler? Or? No. The, uh, okay. This is from the perspective of the the uh, Tuscan Raiders who attack Luke. Oh, so it's the it's the twins and the and the other male who want to overthrow the, the chieftain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting experiment. I'll I'll give it that. It's hits and misses. I can't wait until you get to the R two D two R five D four chapter. I want to hear what you have to say about that. Oh, I already what I already went through that one. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that for a second then. Uh, spoiler alert, everybody. R five D four blows up in A New Hope forty fucking years ago, so it's not <laughs> actually a spoiler. Spoiler. They might not have known the the designation of that droid. Which <laughs> I found it funny that he's red and he's R five uh, because. Luke was red five. I doubt that was an intentional thing, but it just okay. <laughs> you don't know, man. Yeah, your, your your hypothesis is that Lucas is a genius and he had everything mapped out from start to finish. Um, X-wing fuel yeah. can't can't melt dur steel, man. <laughs> so, what did you think of the sub translated droid? I'll call it. Oh, that was fine, but the kind of the cutesy translation was kind of like, oh, maybe it would have been better if I just read it on my own and I didn't have the, R2-D2 didn't have the cutesy Disney kind of voice. But I have to save the universe. (laughs) I've seen all sorts of terrible things. (laughs) I did like that there was, uh, they acknowledged the fact that R2 has seen a lot in a previous chapter with the Jawa. Just watch his memory. I love that chapter where the the little Jawas watching the protocol droid, or sorry, the astromech droid memory cores. It's actually written by someone I'm a pretty big fan of. So I was happy to see that randomly that he had a chapter in there and that his chapter was so interesting. Well, yeah, because you think, think about it. R2, let's see. He, you know, helped them uh, escape Naboo. He was there for the, all the first hijinks on uh, Tatooine. Mm-hmm. He uh, he helped Anakin pilot a uh, Naboo starfighter and blow up the droid control ship. Uh, he's been with Padme and all her whatevers before uh, Episode Two. He wasn't there to see Anakin slaughter the Tusken Raiders, but he might have heard about it. And then just all the Clone Wars stuff, and then going with Anakin when he had become Darth Vader. And what was he thinking then? Because apparently he thinks that it's just like, holy shit, this guy's gone off the deep end, or I'm just a helpless droid who's going to help my friend Darth Vader. So would R2 become evil? And then, you know, just all the hilarity that ensues with R2-D2 going all the way up to that chapter. So did you know, so there was an interview with Lucas, I don't know how long ago, a few years ago, not, not very long ago, where he said that the original concept of the entire Star Wars franchise was supposed to be a story told in flashback. And when I, I was reading the, the interview and it basically sounded like uh, the Princess Bride where Peter Falk is reading, what's his face? The Fred Savage. Fred Savage. Peter Falk is reading Fred Savage, the book. When I was your age, television was called books. And the action's playing out like that. So the book was supposed to be the Journal of the Wills. 
And that's where that concept came from. And R2-D2 was supposed to be telling the story. He was supposed to be like a recorder that recorded all of this stuff and was relaying the information back to someone in the future, which is why it starts out a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's a story. It's, a, it's like a fairy tale story. And, and he actually said in the interview that R2-D2 is an imperfect narrator, which is why R2-D2 is the hero more often than not which is why R2-D2 saves the day all the time, because he's embellishing the story to make himself a more important character, like an imp- like an imperfect narrator would. And right. so I like that. I don't know. I find it hard to believe that this short story took that into consideration, but I love that idea. I just, I love the idea that the Journal of the Wills construct of the storytelling is intact somehow, still inside R2-D2. It's completely falling apart in the sequel trilogy, and the standalone movies because he's not really in them. I mean, he was deactivated for a large portion of the first sequel movie, so he can't be taking a record there. But maybe it's now BB-8's story. Yeah, that's possible. But um, to your original thing, I uh, the question about the chapter with R5 and R2-D2, it was all right. I don't really like a lot of the droid-centric stuff because droids can feel and think... Yet they can't, just depending upon the need of the story. Well, that's great news for a couple of guys doing a podcast that starts out with 16 episodes of cartoons about droids. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Don't worry, we'll get the cartoons about tiny bears harvesting berries and running from the Grinch who stole Christmas soon enough. Right. But first, another hour of obsessing about Star Wars canon that not much people know about. Oh, these aren't canon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you, Doctor. No, I'm not a doctor. Oh, damn it, you beat me to it. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) We have our first Simpsons reference. We're less than ten minutes in. (laughs) Well, I was going to say either that or... So that's it. After 20 years, so long, good luck. I don't recall saying good luck. I don't recall saying good luck. (laughs) (laughs) So this week was sort of a slow Star Wars week. Um, Last week was a pretty huge frenzy of activity. Rebels came back and we got the name of the Han Solo movie, which is Solo. I've warmed up to that a little bit, by the way. I've found my peace with it pretty quickly. Yeah, me too. Like, there's nothing I can really do about it, so... Why lose any sleep over it? I was on the internet within minutes expressing my... (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I was wearing a hat and underneath an air conditioning duct, it would have flown up into the... (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, I made my peace with that. But this week, we don't have much to talk about. I mean, Rebels came out with new episodes, but we're not going to spend much time, if any time, until we actually get to Rebels, which we probably should have just said Rebels podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten some some of the books um that I've been uh missing uh from the local library. Oh, and right. you sent me a huge picture of a huge pile of books. I got Guardians of the Wheels, Lost Stars, Moving Target and Before the Awakening. Now, most of them I could chew through pretty quickly, but Lost Stars seems rather large. So, I think I'm just going to get the audiobook on that and then just hold on to the book until you know i pretty much owe so much in fines that uh i might as well have just bought it because <laughs> that's usually what i end up doing so uh, lost stars is good uh, i really like the audio book production of it so i recommend it the others i haven't read yet yeah i think before the the awakening is that the short stories yeah with uh finn ray and 
Poe Dameron. Uh, I, don't, I don't have that one. I actually, before, maybe it was before, a little bit after, it was probably after Force Awakens came out, I actually got the book from the library, and my son and I were going to read it. I was going to read it out loud to him, and I just couldn't get through it, not because of the story, it was because constantly having to say the Stormtrooper designations. That just got to be super repetitive and highly annoying, and then it just got to the point where I was just like, oh, let's just go play Xbox. Because... Readings for losers. <laughs> well, if they had names, it would be easier. Well, we'll talk about those books when we read them, probably, uh, unless they're horrible. The only thing that really happened this week um, is that it was announced that DJ, Benicio Del Toro's character in um, The Last Jedi, which we know nothing about his character at all. He could be Ezra. I'm just saying that. He's getting a one-off comic in January to fill in his backstory. So maybe that indicates that he's got a relatively important part in the movie. I don't know. But could they wouldn't be. bother writing a comic about a loser. Oh, I guess they would. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like they know you're. They know we're gonna buy it, so they'll just put out whatever. I like to point out that, that the editor of the Marvel comics, Star Wars comics, did give us the intro and outro music for this podcast. So I am 100% on board with Marvel. Hooray, Marvel! Yes, thank you, Jordan. Yes, thank you, Jordan. Make as many comics about as many loser Star Wars characters as you want. I will read them. I would buy a Salacious Crumb miniseries. I would put it on the shelf next to all of the other miniseries I have. <laughs> Pre-Jedi or after Jedi? Like, somehow he escaped. Oh, good call. We, we probably need a two-parter. <laughs> How he came into service as the court jester slash annoying lizard monkey laughing puppet and how he found the dark crystal after <laughs> Jabba's death. <laughs> <laughs> so that DJ getting his own comic is one of the pieces of news. And then the ever-present internet troll Ron Howard decided to tweet out one last photo from the Han Solo set with two Imperial officers that he labeled Tag and Bank, saying that Tag and Bank were with him on the set of Han Solo. We talked about this briefly before we started recording. Tag and Bink are a, a series of joke comics that were produced a long time ago for the premises that these two characters named Tag and Bink are trapped in the Star Wars universe, going from job to job, being the background character in every scene you've ever seen. They're highly entertaining. Like I told you, they're the right kind of comedy because they're respectful but irreverent and they explain a lot of plot holes, why stormtroopers are bad shots and why they didn't shoot the escape pod. And they're the Imperial guards at the final battle in between Luke and Darth Vader and the Emperor's throne room. And they're just everywhere. And it's done well. It's funny. They're worth a read. You can buy them on eBay relatively cheap. Might as well do it now before they're actually really in a Star Wars movie and everyone thinks they have to own them. I've actually been looking at them myself for the past almost a year to add to my slowly grow, growing Star Wars comic book collection, but I just haven't pulled the trigger on it, and I might have to do it now, but I'll, st I'll give it another month to think about it, and then I'll forget that this happened, and then there'll be a Tag and Bink Tops trading card or something. I don't do the cards, so I don't give a shit. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder how much my wife, wife will kill me if I was to spend a lot of money on, uh, on something like this. I'm getting the Tag and Bank comics? I yeah. Think get for like 20 bucks. Well, I'm looking like I can get the first two for like about 36 bucks. 
the trade paperbacks or the oh i think though no, the actual oh that's too much you don't need a nice copy of them just get a reading copy we'll look online later we'll all find right a, we'll find a podcast set of tag and bank that we can share okay all right shall we uh discuss uh this week's episode Sure. This week we're discussing episode four of Droids, which is entitled A Race to the Finish. I'm just going to go right into the plot summary, I think, because like I warned you, I wrote quite the plot summary. All right. Hit me. This is episode four. Originally aired on September 28th, 1985. So happy birthday last month. (laughs) The show opens in space with the White Witch on top of the Sand Sloth which I recently realized is the name of Kia Mole's ship, and the team is headed to the Bunta Speeder Races. A shuttle starts firing on the team, and they, at the time, R2-D2 and C-3PO are on the outside of the ship, securing the speeder, prepping the ship for hyperspace. Which I find funny that the ship was able to take off, and everything that we know about drag and... Uh, just escape velocity from a planet, you would think that it would have been secured enough. But apparently it's just kind of hanging on there by a thread. Yes, as far as physics is concerned, that is the that is a concerning plot hole, but not as concerning as what happens immediately after this. Oh, I... I no, let, me, let me say I'm going to hold on to it to see if it's... So what happens is this Lambda-class shuttle is firing on the ship... R2-D2 and C-3PO are on the outside, and the humans on the inside of the ship call for the droids to get inside, and they try to open the hatch. (laughs) Not an airlock, a hatch. Yeah, it's a hatch. They call it a hatch, and it won't open, and they seem frustrated by this. And I was just thinking, I wrote my notes, thank God it didn't open. All the air would have escaped, and they all would have died. The end. And we yeah, it would have been a pretty on. clean episode because C-3PO and R2-D2 would still be alive, but all the humans would be dead. And they're like, oh, oh, right, right. Humans can't. That's right. My bad. And so during the attack, the hyperdrive is somehow damaged and R2-D2 accesses the external controls and starts doing something with a control on the outside. This reminded me a lot of episode one, our episodic order introduction to R2-D2 when the Queen's ship is trying to escape the blockade and he and the three other droids go outside to fix it. Well, also episode five when uh, they're about to get captured at the very end and R2 just goes, finds a random switch turns on the hyperdrive and the escape. That's also true, right? That's exactly what happens. You see inside the shuttle now, the Lambda-class shuttle, and not surprisingly, it is the Frome family or gang firing on the Kia Mole ship. And I looked up the name of their ship, and it's called the Vor Viper. See, now that's a cool name. That's a really cool name. And did you notice that uh, Size From pretty much did the TV sequel... Uh, cliche of like, I'm going to explain everything that's happened previously to the audience so the audience understands. Because of them, I lost my super weapon, the Trigon. The key to my takeover of every other gang in the galaxy. Yep, it's a Saturday morning cartoon. They had to bring everyone up to speed on the plot. And so he has this turn to camera moment where he summarizes the previous three episodes. This is why we're doing this. They ruined everything. So the the shuttle is firing on the ship, 
and right before it permanently damages the ship, it jumps into hyperspace. Thank you, R2. Um, so whatever they were doing on the outside, apparently they were done or it didn't need to be done, and they just sent them outside the ship so they didn't have to listen to them talk anymore. Tigfrom tries to pursue the Sand Sloth, but goes into hyperspace in reverse for some reason. It's a cartoon. I'm going to give it to them. Yeah, I thought that that was a, um, I thought I saw that, but I was in the middle of doing something and I didn't feel like rewinding it. <laughs> so it's like, did they go backwards? Oh, well, I'm sure, I'm sure they meant to do it. Then you looked at the schedule and you're like, oh, Matt's summarizing this one. I'll just skip it. <laughs> All right. So they go into hyperspace backwards. Jord injures his arm. Jord is the fat one. Injures his arm in the battle and he apparently is hurt pretty bad. R2-D2 and C-3PO are still on the outside of the ship, so they ride all the way to Boonta, which is the name of the planet they're going to, which, what's the climate of this planet? Oh, right, it's another desert planet. So the ship crashes on Boonta. Apparently the damage to the ship causes it to not be able to fly well in the atmosphere, and they end up in the Boonta scrapyard. And the White Witch, which was not properly attached to the hull, got flung off and damaged. Maybe they were trying to attach it for landing? No, she specifically said attach it for hyperspace. Right. You, you notice how uh, C-3P and R2-D2 were able to be secured just fine with a rope. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I guess it was just something to move the plot along. Yeah, I mean, this... It wasn't really necessary, though. It's not necessary. There's a lot of not necessary in these episodes. Um, last week was the worst episode we'd ever seen, and I think it's probably the worst episode we will see. This one is pretty enjoyable, honestly. I mean, it's still got a lot of extraneous crap, but I oftentimes describe plots and things as like a Christmas tree, right? You have the tree, and then you have all the ornaments that hang off of it. And even if you knock all the ornaments off, you still have a tree. So, like, the slapsticky stuff is just the ornaments on the tree, right? When Tig going backward into hyperspace is an ornament on a tree. The tree's fine. All right, so now we're in the we're in the Boonta scrapyard, and the White Witch is damaged. Enter Proto One, which is an excellent droid design who works in the scrapyard, and he built slash repaired himself. So he's sort of an autonomous like elder droid who put himself together with spare parts almost immediately. And I don't entirely understand why a C-3PO is an asshole to Proto-1, and it's not really explained why he's doing this, except maybe C-3PO is being, like, classist. Jealous, maybe. I, I would go with classist, because he's essentially a god on Endor. <laughs> and... <laughs> and, yeah, Proto-1 is very... He's cobbled together. Yeah, I was thinking, like, maybe it's, like, a Sanford and Son situation where you come up and it's like the junk dealer and you have to be better than the junk dealer, right? Because he lives in garbage mm -hmm. and you're a protocol droid and speak 6 million different forms of communication. Um, it does, at least this relationship conflict pays off. So size from, and we see that he's hiring Boba Fett to hunt down the racers and we get our reintroduction to animated Boba Fett and since this is still a Nelvana joint, it looks exactly like the holiday special Boba Fett. Yeah, he's just missing that third eye, and he's colored just a little bit differently. Yep, and this is why you're my friend, and on this podcast, I set that up for you, and you knocked it out of the park. <laughs> because 
I was watching it for the third time tonight, and I was like, oh, shit, that thing is, that thing that Jamie noticed on the helmet isn't there anymore. I hope he noticed. His backpack's just slightly different. Oh, for the For the discerning Star Wars fan. Well, we have a Wikipedia article to update, goddammit. Yeah, and he has the uh, lasso that he uses on Luke in Return of the Jedi, and it makes a funny sound effect every time he does it. And he does it a few times in, in this episode. He also had that lasso in the holiday special. But did it make the cool sound? I don't I don't remember. I'm not watching it again. <laughs> you know you are. Well, I'll, I will on Life Day, which is in <laughs> four weeks. Size so from Hires Boba Fett to capture slash kill the racers. It's not clear what his goal is. Boba Fett tells him that Jabba has a price on his head, meaning a price on Cyrus Rom's head. Vlix and Tig are visibly afraid of Boba Fett, basically his reputation. George can't race. Now we're back to the racers. George can't race. He's in a hospital unit with a medical droid. Love it. And it's showing that his arm is broken. So Thal has to do it. But since the White Witch was damaged in the crash, they have to figure out a way to repair it. Out of nowhere, C-3PO shows up with a, another droid called BL-17, and BL-17 offers them a garage to fix up the speeder with a bunch of tools. I really like the design of BL-17 again. He sort of looks like a skeleton. Yeah, did you uh, notice that his body is in the pattern of Boba Fett's helmet? I did not. Good catch. That's awesome. Yep, when it's revealed that he is a quote-unquote bad guy it focuses something on his chest and you see it looks exactly like boba fett's helmet wow that's some that's some really nice foreshadowing anybody who's seen any cartoons or pretty much anything pretty much you know right away that destroyed is bad news but uh it was a cool reveal nonetheless yeah so c3po pals around with bl17 and it's obvious that they're fast friends but like you said anyone with a mind realizes that BL-17 is manipulating C-3PO. We cut back to Vlix and Tig. Vlix is the henchman and Tiggy. Uh, and they decide that they're going to beat Boba Fett to the punch and capture the racers first. And they want to do this to prove to Size Rome that they're not worthless. Right. There seems to be a change in that the Vlix's character, that he was just supposed to be this hardened criminal that worked for um, Size From and was just helping the sun along and then it by this episode he's an incompetent boob just like tiggy is yeah and he seems to be they added a character trait that he really cares about his clothing yeah, where'd and that come from i have no idea but i guess it's I, I don't know i guess it's supposed to signify to us that like he's down and out too i don't i don't know it, it's just a plot device to move it forward it gives tiggy something that he wants i'm gonna buy you a new shirt if you help me murder these people <laughs> So Vlix and Tig show up to the garage to put a detonator in the White Witch. But simultaneous to this, BL-17 had sabotaged the garage and trapped Kia and R2 inside with a leaky tank of welding gas. And she is not doing well. So R2 crashes a what they call a lifter, which I assume is some sort of like car lift through the garage door narrowly missing Blix and Tig. Yeah, he, he looks like he's holding a uh, a tray of drinks when he he finds out that that she's being gassed. 
Yeah. And and I was just like, where, what was he doing? Because there was another time it looked like he had headphones on, or at least ear protection. That was a welding shield that was up. Huh. When, okay. When his when you saw like he looked like he had head a headset on or something, mm-hmm. um, that was because his welding shield was up, and that was the way they chose to draw it. Because a second before that happened, the welding shield was down, and it just looked like R two D two was a single piece of glass rather than any kind of texture or panels. It just looked like completely blank face. Right. And why would he need a, a welding shield? Because kids are stupid? That's why you're still kids! Because you're stupid! He's trying to get into that cartoon where the R2s are, R2 units are just wearing different kinds of hats. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Let's, let's not travel down that road. <laughs> So you were saying that they they escape with a some sort of lifter. Yeah. So the garage is damaged because R2 basically drove this thing through the wall. And so R2 is left to guard the White Witch while Fall takes Kia to a medical station, probably the same one that George is at. BL-17 and C-3PO show back up. C-3PO berates R2-D2, and BL-17 offers to move the White Witch to a safer location. So they move it to a processing plant the safest place in the galaxy. I thought this would have played more into it because they showed something getting either incinerated or crushed. Yep, my thought exactly too. You show another vehicle being ground up and thrown into like a fire and you're like, we'll just throw your car here, but they're not going to throw that car into the fire. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's another unnecessary detail, but right. that's the theme. But unlike your Christmas tree analogy, the, the nice ornament that has a, a picture of me and my family from a vacation serves a purpose. It reminds us when we had fun and we're happy. This is just like something that just, it doesn't pay off. I, and it, it was just unnecessary, like the horrible candy cane ornaments that we still have after so many years. Yeah, this is Chekhov's car crusher, right? You can't introduce a car crusher without cr- using it to crush a car. Right. And with a plot that revolves around the functionality of a car, it seems pretty obvious. So... Randomly, and I don't know why, but I'm glad this happens because it moves the plot along. Proto-1 shows up at the processing plant and knows BL-17 and 4. They clearly have a history together, and that history is negative. They hate each other. So I'm going to go ahead and retcon a reason why Proto-1 goes to this place. It's a processing plant. He works at a junkyard. He's there to pick up scrap. Probably, or, Just give you know, <laughs> or, or I was going to say he's going to score the equivalent of uh, droid drugs. Yes, I like that too. <laughs> He's going to go get his fix and beg the person who uh, runs the uh, incinerator to give him one more hit, and he'll do anything for it. Anything. Maybe here there's a new leg there, and he can get the leg. Do we know what color C-3PO's leg is right now? It's gold, isn't it? Yeah, he's completely gold except for his blue undercarriage. So Proto-1 and BL-17 get into it, a shouting match mostly, and C-3PO realizes that BL-17 is evil and works for Boba Fett. BL-17 completely loses it and outs himself in a huge way here, and he does the Bond villain where he tells C-3PO the plan. I just, sorry, not to bring up the Simpsons again, turn this in, the Star Wars Simpson podcast, but the 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 Bond. Well, at least tell me the details of your plot for world domination. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for that one again. <laughs> so R two D two shows up and is screaming and saves C three PO by crushing BL seventeen under a pile of scrap. There's a great like Terminator arm reaching out from the pile of scrap that I love. It's a little Deus ex machina to have him show up and just kill him or 
deactivate him, but it's a cartoon and there's a lot that's happening in this episode. I pretty much guessed that that was going to happen. I don't know about you. It's not that I'm super smart. It's just that I've seen so many cartoons when somebody's being set up to leave to then come back and save the day. Right. But the trap is sprung. Boba Fett is present at the processing plant, and he tries to shoot Kia and Thal while they're looking for the witch because they have not located the witch yet. Blix and Tig are also at the plant, and they place a detonator inside the speeder. So their plan is to destroy the speeder to blow it up. After 10 laps. Yep, we're going to... Yep, that's right. <laughs> they set the timer to 10 laps, whatever that means. Um, however, that timer particularly works, but maybe... maybe Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Sorry. <laughs> Proto, Proto-1 was injured in the battle with uh, BL-17, but he saw what happens, but he's unable to warn Thal before he drives off, but he warns Kia because Thal drove off in the car without taking his friends. So Kia, Kia, C-3PO, and R2-D2 have to walk back from the plant when he gets to take the car. I know he says, like, Yahoo! And I think it's the same Yahoo from the very first episode. I don't know why that annoys me. It just does, because it seems so fake. <laughs> I could just imagine, and you know, in the uh, in the studio, I was like, "Give us your best uh, Yahoo!" Yeah. All right, that's good. Let's move it on. That's the one we use over and over. And so, the possible plot reason why he had to go by himself was because the race was starting. And so we we flash back to Jord waiting for the race to start, and Thal isn't there, and he's getting nervous. The race starts, and everyone takes off, and Thal blasts through the starting gate in the white witch and so he might not have had time to drop them off without incurring a severe penalty right instead he starts late which whatever i i guess that's a part of the rules yeah apparently that's completely allowed to blow through the gate at full speed rather than starting from a stop yeah because he had to somehow get in there then get himself onto the track and you know i'm sure all the guards were just like oh yeah sure go ahead whatever so i'm going to hypothesize at this point that these animators do not know how to animate a race or a chase because I could not follow what the hell was going on in this race at all. Yeah, it was very it was very difficult. It was just it's basically a big coil. Yeah, it's like it's like a hamster cage with like those tubes and they're driving around inside the tubes. Exactly. And a lot of animators of this era had a seems like they have a problem with spatial recognition or at least consistency Yeah. where there's sometimes it would show the speeders were like they're just small enough to get in the tubes and then other times you know it was big enough to where speeders could pass each other it's like in transformers somehow megatron is the same size as everybody else and all of a sudden he turns into a gun and he fits in the starscream's hand how does that work i don't know <laughs> We'll, we'll tackle those questions in our Transformers podcast. All right. Our Transformers podcast, More Than Meets the Eye? No, that's too easy. More Than Meets the Pod or something like that. Okay. What's the name of the one that turns into a cassette tape? Oh, um, Soundwave or Soundwave. Blaster? Oh, where was I? Okay, so Boba Fett also enters the race because Boba Fett is still trying to complete his bounty that size from Hired M4, which is to capture these racers and bring them to from presumably so he can kill them. But now he's going to do this by harassing him in the race by through a series of weapons that he fires at the car. These were all okay to me. I think they're fine. Lasers, some kind of like tether, and then some kind of magnetic beam. That's, that's fine. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens. Seemed pretty silly, especially since he knew where they would be at the end of the race. Right. You're, you are correct there that it's a bad plan. And for the galaxy's greatest bounty hunter, you should have had a better plan. I forgot to mention that 
eventually Kia shows up. I guess it is around this time in the episode. Eventually Kia shows up from her leisurely walk from the processing plant to the race, and it's in lap seven. And she informs Jord that there's a bomb on board and that it'll go off after lap 10. Then she and Jord do nothing about it. Yep, and then the fire retardant that R2 uses causes the thermal detonator to slip off. Anyway, so that was pointless. (laughs) So it doesn't pay off. It does destroy Boba Fett's ship, and Boba Fett escapes from the detonation but why 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 does kia do tell jord at all they don't even try to contact him like via a radio or anything saying there's a bomb on board get rid of it yeah or heaven forbid they radio jord who could then radio thal and i was mistaken earlier r2 is on the white witch so it was r2 and jord that sped off leaving kia and c3po at the processing plant i think i said r2 was also back there but he's on he's on the witch because he's he's fixing all of boba fett's attacks he's the he's defense for all the boba fett attacks he's doing the flame retardant thing that lubricates the bomb out of its hiding place and then sends it back so thal wins the race it's not really explained how because there are at least six other racers but fine he wins the race and a creature called zebulon dak offers thal and jord a job designing racers as a reward for winning the race. Now, is it Dak or is it Dax? Because I've I heard it two different ways. Oh, and I'm going to feel like an idiot because my computer, the computer I do my research on, is behind me, and I was reading an article about this guy. I think it's Dak because I've heard them say Dak, and maybe it was Dax as in the possessive, but it really sounded like they just said his name like Dax. Dax is the name of the trill on Deep Space Nine. Mm. Which is a Star Trek thing. You've never heard of it. Star Trek. Harumph. Harumph. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Just the governor. Harumph. Harumph. You watch your ass. <laughs> They're offered this job by Zebulon Dak. Cut to a short time later, the Fromm gang shows up again, and so does Proto-1. Proto-1 has apparently repaired himself once again, and he is joined back up with the gang just in time to shoot at size from and blicks and then boba fett shows up because boba fett is upset that this mission cost him so much and that he's not going to be able to collect his bounty so he captures the from gang and says he's going to turn them into java for the reward so we know what happens with them i assume size from is the skull that's in the rancor pit in return of the jedi that's an interesting thought that skull has a name it's it's got a whole eu backstory but um, i'm going to go ahead yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it's size from. All right, that works for me. So now they're wrapping it up. Proto One stays behind on Bunta. He says that it's his home and he wants to stay there. It makes sense. Upon leaving, it's revealed that Zebulon will wipe the droids' memories and reprogram them if Thal and Jord take the job. And so they discuss it amongst the humans and decide that they're not going to take the job because they respect the droids too much to put them through that. And then a very strange thing but I suppose it's meant to be touching. R2-D2 and C-3PO leave their masters so they will be able to take the job without having any guilt about destroying the droids' personalities. And the first arc of droids ends with C-3PO and R2-D2 floating around in an escape pod. So now their friends can take the job, but they're racked with guilt because they left them behind and can't find them. Yes, but it's a thing, right? Yes, I suppose. This was the part of the show where I ask you if you liked the episode. And remember, last week we went a little too dark, a little too negative. So let's... I liked it. It was it was fine. 
it was it was fluff it was forgettable it was not nearly as bad it didn't have like the the misogynistic aspect of it it just seemed kind of silly and just didn't make a whole lot of sense but it's more on par for what i would expect uh, a cartoon from that era and uh and it had some interesting things in it uh, like i said the um the one droid looked uh, a lot like boba fett's helmet at one point c-3po is saying mistress Leah. which sounds exactly like mistress Leah. and so i wonder if she was given that name specifically because it was kind of like leia but not really yeah could be and i noticed that some of the the racers looked like some of the speeders you see in Clone Wars TV show and in Attack of the Clones and maybe Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, so one of them looked exactly like Zam Wessel's speeder, which is the assassin who tries to kill Padme with the caterpillars in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote that as a note as under the uh, under one of the headings on the outline. I wrote, speeder looks like Zam Wessel's speeder. So I agree with that. Can we talk about Proto 1 for a second? Sure. Well, first, I agree with you. This is, so far, this might be my favorite episode of, of the series. That's not saying a whole lot, but it felt more like a beginning, middle, and end type of story to me. There's a lot of satisfaction in the ending. I think so. I like. I'm not a Boba Fett guy, but I like that Boba Fett was in this. I think he played a, a good role. There was a imperial presence. That's right. The there was, and he's coming back in a future episode. There was a an admiral at the race watching the race. Right, and they made it sound like it was a pretty exclusive race. Yet somehow Boba Fett entered at the last minute and. Thal was able to get in and win the race without being there for, you know, things like qualifying, you yeah. know, that sort of stuff that usually happens during races. But, yeah. hey, whatever. What am I expecting? There's a plot hole. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I expect too much, but sometimes they just they just get you. They're just like, like why are you expecting this to be perfect <laughs> when, when this <laughs> is designed for kids? So... My hypothesis that a lot of the elements in these shows are present in the prequels, um, Bunta, right? So mm-hmm. the Bunta Eve pod race is the pod racing scene in episode one. Obviously, everyone's a huge fan. And this is called the Bunta races, right? Mm-hmm. Completely unrelated. It's just one of these coincidences that someone pulled that name out of the book and that was the result. But it's interesting that they both ended up being races. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing it's just sort of like a, nod to the people who are paying attention yeah my my thoughts exactly and then did you see sebulon dak when he showed up at the end that he was in a senate pod i didn't think about that if that is the exact design of a senate pod and i i enjoyed that i think that's cool i hate that movie but i like that mm-hmm. piece i have a couple of those things for the boys and we put all of our senate action figures in there and debate taxation routes <laughs> taxation on trade routes <laughs> So I'm a I'm a big fan. Let's see. The Cinepod, Bunta Eve Race, Sam Wessel, Proto One. Can we talk about him for a second? Yes. I thought we were going to before, but I guess I talked to over you. No no. I I, I I ditched it. So Proto One, I really like the design of that droid. He reminded me a lot of Hugh Wang, the lightsaber building droid in Clone Wars. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I've seen that one. That was the one with the younglings and the, the ship. Yeah, it's one of my spoiler alert for the podcast in four years. It's one of my favorite episodes is when the younglings go on the ship and they meet Huang, who's been building lightsabers for thousands of years and is going to teach them how to build lightsabers. His existence makes a lot of sense to me, and he looks like Proto-1. I, I even had like side-by-side photos up of them earlier today and looking. So I, I thoroughly enjoy his, his design 
And then, like I said, during during the recap, BL-17 also is a cool design droid, and you pointed out that design element of Boba Fett, and that's even cooler. All right. Do you have any other... Anything else you want to point out in this one? Hmm, no, I guess I'm just something. Okay, there was something about uh, BL17 that I didn't quite like. You said you liked his design. I don't. Overall, I thought it was I thought it was interesting because it was a, it was a new design. But I can't get over what his head looks like. He looks like he's wearing some sort of like S and M mask. Bring out the gimp. Where there, it's just it just goes over the top, covers his eyes. It's just dark and then light. Yeah, his face was a little strange. I sort of I sort of viewed it as like face with like the skin peeled back, and so you saw the muscles. But maybe he is dressed like a gimp. <laughs> well, I had a I had one final thought. This is sort of the this is the last episode of the Jord. Thal and Kia arc of the show. The episode ends with C-3PO and R2-D2 jettisoning themselves into space inside a pod, and they say that they're alone, but at least they're together. Mm -hmm. This is a interesting experiment by Star Wars to have continuity in a cartoon, and it also represents the one-third mark of the entire series, because there's only two more masters that C-3PO and R2-D2 find on various desert planets throughout the galaxy. Um, yeah, I'm definitely sad to... No, I'm not sad to see them go, but I'm, I'm interested to see where I guess the adventures take them to where we can see more of like the original prequels and anything in between you know, some of the influence, you know, where it came from. Yeah, I sort of had a, I introduced myself on this podcast as sort of a Lucas apologist. And I want to sort of apologize for Lucas, since he's not here to apologize for himself once again. He wouldn't. But droids is a forgotten bit of Star Wars literature. And Lucas himself was involved in at least the concept of it. And you have to remember that I, I gave the date of the airing of the episode this time in 1985, because Star Wars had the cultural cachet to do anything in the 80s it wanted. It was a bit too early to have a video game empire, but they eventually got there. So cartoons and comics were all they really had and made for TV movies. But Star Wars was really the first multimedia empire franchise out there. There weren't a lot of things that touched on every single piece of modern media like it did. And one of the reasons... Right, like, so I was thinking, like, like even, like, say, Superman... But Superman, there wasn't like, to uh, there was the comics, the movies, but there wasn't like a toy line and it wasn't just saturated everywhere. Well, so Superman is slightly different in that Lucas maintained control of it, right? Superman's a great example of, of another cultural thing that, a cultural icon that touched on every single piece of media because there were radio dramas and there were comic books and toys, not, obviously not as many toys, but I mean, Star Wars was basically one guy, you know, and I don't think our culture really had anything like that up until the point that this happened. And one of the things that I'm going to be one part of this long apology is, is the reason why I wanted to do this is because this series had consequences, um, not just from a literary point of view, but from a Star Wars, future Star Wars point of view. Lucas was super busy with Willow and Labyrinth at this time. Those Both of those movies were in pre-production and it was sucking up all of his time and he wanted to branch out and do more fantasy like Willow, which we can talk about Willow some other time. I don't want to talk about it at all right now. <laughs> we'll do it on our uh, other podcast, uh, Willowcast. Yeah, where we throw acorns at each other until one of us turns into stone. <laughs> it took a lot of his attention, and so he hired other people to finish developing and produce this cartoon for him, and then he hated it. And this was a, a moment when 
he realized that he couldn't trust other people to carry out his vision. And when he went back 10 years later to start developing the prequels, he wouldn't let people give him notes. So what you're saying is we need to track down the people who created these episodes and hold them fully accountable for what happened with the prequels. Yes. I've been looking up the people responsible for this show in directing and production and animation just as part of my research for for our show. And it blows my mind how important these people became and the top shelf art that they produced. For example, this is the only example I'm going to talk about today. Paul Dini was one of the directors, was a director of this series for a certain period of time. He went on to make Batman the Animated Series. That's range. It's incredible that 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 Batman was made by the same person that made this. Batman is an incredible cartoon. I I don't understand. It seems like all the right people were there. And I I was reading an, an interview with Paul Dini tonight, and he said that he he basically said that the Saturday morning audience was the wrong audience for Star Wars. That anytime they wanted to do something, ABC would yank on their leash and make them change it. Yeah, I was just thinking that, and and also, when did Batman the animated series come out? That was like was that the nineties? Yeah, early nineties. Yeah, so you know times had changed a little bit. You could get away with a little bit more. I guess my point isn't to draw a direct comparison between the two, but to say that's an important cartoon series that did a lot of great, interesting things. It sucks that that couldn't have been Star Wars. Right, but they've made up for it with uh, the Clone Wars and, and Rebels. Correct. And we are done with Jord, Thal, and Kia, so we're one week closer to canon cartoons. Uh, the next episode coming up is The Lost Prince, where uh, the droids meet a stranger with amnesia, and he's later to be found out to be royalty, and his name is Lone Star, and he has a friend named Barf. I'm a mog, half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for downloading and listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week about more droids. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochvaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We will see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only.